So many of you know Alicia has been with us um, this summer as an intern that we have from Southern Wesleyan University. Last week is her last, next week is her last week with us before she heads back to her senior year. Woo, woo, woo! And we are blessed and fortunate to have her bring a word this morning. Well, good morning. I just want to say I feel the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. Um, all right, well, let's just jump right in. How many of you have ever been to a zoo? This past March, I was out in Dallas, Texas, visiting family, and while I was there, we took a family trip to the Dallas Zoo. Some of you all know it's above average hot down in Texas right now. <laughs> But when we were there in March, we had freezing rain, uh, so I'd venture to say it was colder there than it was here at that point. So anyways, we walk into the zoo, we're passing the lemurs, red foxes, flying squirrels, and some other animals that look like mini screaming raccoons. <laughs> and to the left, <laughs> giants of the savannah. So we walked past the elephants, the zebras, we fed the giraffes, and then we came around to the lion enclosure. And if you've ever seen them, there's a wall around the enclosure that drops really far down. And at the bottom, there's a moat, just in case. If you look all the way across to the grassy area, you then see the lions pacing, hungrily waiting for their next food delivery. At this point, have you started to wonder, what would happen if I fell in? Do y'all remember a couple years ago, there was a lady on the news that this actually happened to? So this is real stuff. Do you wonder, how does that even happen? Like, what would you do if that had been you? Would you scream for help? Would you fight back? <laughs> or maybe you just start praying. Is there really a best option here? <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Daniel, a prophet living in Babylonian exile in 6th century B.C., who has an up-close and personal encounter, not quite Tiger King, but he has to make this choice. To scream, to fight back, or to simply pray. At the beginning of the 6th century BC, King Darius was ruling the newly conquered Babylonian Empire, and as he began organizing authority, he appointed officials and administrators that would share smaller portions of the responsibility to rule parts of the empire. So Daniel was appointed as one of these men who were considered trustworthy enough to handle the responsibilities that were being asked. He'd built a good reputation up to this point, and because he had found favor in the past with King Nebuchadnezzar, the rest of the officials expend much time and energy trying to find something to pin against Daniel. Daniel's favor among the kings, both King Nebuchadnezzar in the past and King Darius currently, evoked a lot more than just jealousy among the rest of the authorities. These guys were out to kill him in one of the most brutal ways possible. So if you'll read with me on the screen, Daniel 6, verse 5. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So all of the officials and government advisors get together with the king and they're like, we know how to bring this guy down. Identifying Daniel's faithfulness to his God as an object of the king's favoritism. If you'll read verse 6-7 with me. 
the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So the king agrees and issues an ordinance enforcing the edict that for the next 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except for himself, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. What an attempt at flattering the king's ego on the behalf of the rest of the government officials. In their minds, if they could get the king to see Daniel less favorably, maybe they would be given greater recognition? Now, mutilation by lions with standard practice is one of several forms of brutal execution in Persian culture. The lion's den was more of a large pit, and the lions were not regularly fed, nor were they well fed. Could you imagine? This wasn't just off with their heads, one and done. No, this was be ripped apart by several hundred pound hungry large cats. It's quite the impending consequence. Nevertheless, Daniel defies worldly law going against the culture of the day for the sake of remaining faithful to his God. This was his defining moment where rubber meets the road, where it is ever so important for him to choose wisely between the likely quiet fears of unreasonable consequences or unwavering faithfulness to his Lord and Savior. So my point that I'm trying to make here, use kingdom wisdom in making decisions rather than worldly knowledge. If you'll turn and read with me, verse 610. Now when Daniel had learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So it was standard practice of the day for Jewish people in exile to pray toward Jerusalem. So in praying despite the king's ordinance, Daniel was not simply praying out of rebellion to the king, but out of obedience to the greater command of God. Now this was not a pass-go and collect 200 to disregard the government's authority. Daniel, without seeking recognition or applause, makes the quiet but confident choice that no matter what was going to come his way, to pray. This didn't mean that he followed the king's rules. He still prayed despite the king's edict, but out of reverence for God rather than despite the king. Our faithfulness in the pits of life, the deserts, the valleys are a testimony to others who are walking the roads you've walked and even those walking beside you. Sometimes our blessings aren't just for us. Sometimes our healing reaches beyond our hardship to touch the life of someone else. Our story might not be what saves people, but it certainly can cause that head turn of curiosity. That you did what? And now you're what? You were strung out, and now you're hung up on Jesus? You were in the depths of depression, and now you're in the heights of joy? You were the toughest nail in the bunch, and now you're smiling as people are walking through the door. Our testimony is a powerful tool and needed. It can absolutely be a window into the power of his transforming love. But when Jesus gets a hold of someone's heart, mm, that's that was blind, but now I see transformation. 
as a result of Daniel's obedience to God, we see the beginning of this kind of transformation in the life of King Darius, but not first without a little resistance. Before we continue in the passage, I want to highlight that the officials saw Daniel as an obstacle in the way of them receiving the recognition and praise they so desired from the king. This had almost nothing to do with Daniel's performance in his position and a lot more to do with the lack of performance causing them to try everything they could to remove him. Have you ever been the target of someone's attempt to degrade your character? So if you'll read with me, verse 11 and 12. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So you can guess what happens next. In a part of the world where culture was dominated by a demanding, threatening, and full of impending doom kind of government, where disobedience was not an option. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. The king's heart was beginning to be transformed as a result of watching Daniel's actions in circumstances most of us would be more likely to react to. Now remember, our testimony can be more than just an inspiration or example for others to follow, but a stepping stone on the journey for others to invite God into their life. The king, having favor for Daniel, earnestly hopes for God to come through for him, regardless of the fact that his adversaries did not. And although he was powerless to remove the edict to help Daniel in the tangible way of bringing him out of the pit before his time was up. So my point here is this. God's power prevails above the authority of man. Daniel's continual service to God throughout hardship didn't make his life any easier. Hear me. God did not cause the hardship in Daniel's life. He's not punishing him for not quite doing enough or not quite being enough to create the massive culture change that we see as being so necessary here. There are times that we can become the collateral damage in the tornadoes in others' lives. Many of us wonder why it seems like we're fighting upstream. Why, even though we've been faithful to God, we've quit the addiction, we've been waiting for marriage, we've been holding our tongue, keeping our hands at 10 and 2 when we get cut off on 210. And you're like, God, it's been 80 years, this isn't fun anymore. I hear you. I understand. But even more importantly, he not only hears you, but is with you for the journey. Amen. Even in the pit, God was with Daniel and protected him from the lions, despite the odds, which, if we're being honest, were pretty slim at this point. If you'll read with me, verse 17 and 18. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, 
so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So obviously something's up. How often do we experience sleepless nights wondering how things are going to work out? We ask questions of wonder, God, how will you come through this time? Or maybe of doubt, God, are you really who you say you are? How many of us have been waiting on God to see a mountain moved? Or in Daniel's case, a really heavy stone. My point here is this, don't forsake the power of prayer in the pit. He is faithful. You might feel like a heavy stone has been rolled over you, trapping you in a pit surrounded by lions. The stone was rolled over Daniel in the lion's den. But this wasn't the end of the story, you know. God always has the final say. So if you'll read with me, verse 19 and 20. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? So Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. If there were a time that it would have been warranted and even completely understandable for someone to bash the king's decision, to agree with putting Daniel into a pit with hungry lions, this would have been it. But despite this, Daniel respects the authority of the king, saying, May the king live forever, but quickly followed by giving God the glory for rescuing him from his trouble. Being faithful to God doesn't mean we have to be nasty to secular leadership. <laughs> so if you'll read with me, verse 23 and 24. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. My point here is God's glory is greater than man's disgrace. Did you notice that throughout the entire experience, God gets all the glory? Daniel's humble pursuit of God in the midst of chaos was recognized by King Darius, but it gets even better than that. Verses 26 and 27, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. 
the king goes from enforcing severe execution on those who refuse to worship him, the king, to glorifying the God that Daniel serves. He goes so far as to issue a new decree that Daniel's God must be worshipped. Our defining moments absolutely have an impact on those around us. We all run into these defining moments at one point or another. For you, maybe that looks like getting canceled from the cool kids club at work. Maybe you set some boundaries with the Facebook pages you follow. Or maybe you spend your 21st birthday a little different than most would. What will your defining moment be? Through all of Daniel's peaceful rebellion against the threats of the world, God remained faithful to protect him as Daniel remained faithful in obedience to serving God. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It was Daniel's faith in God, not his works, that brought him deliverance from the lions. In the same way, your dependency on God in the pit is the victory, regardless of the outcome. Some of us might be at the beginning or an ending of a season, but some of us may be somewhere in the middle. You don't have to wait for the light at the end of the tunnel when Jesus is the light in the middle of the pit. So I want to invite Pastor Jen up to pray. And then we'll follow that with some worship. have to wait for the light at the end of the tunnel when Jesus is the light in the middle of the pit. Amen? I don't know what the defining moment is for you. We all face moments where it's faith or culture. We all face moments where the world wants us to go this way, and God is saying, stand fast. Don't battle the world. God, God, newsflash, God's battled the world. That victory is won. We don't have to fight that battle. Alicia, I love how you said, you know, you don't have to be nasty to the government to stand fast in your faith. We need to be the example of what it means to stand fast in our faith for a God who sees and knows and loves people and wants us to do that. And I love that Daniel did that. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you that you are there in the pits with us. That you always have the final say. And that you are a God who is faithful. So when we stand firm in our faith, we can trust and we can know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you are the God who invites, <laughs> who invites a secular world that denies you, that casts you aside, that shuns you, invites that same world into relationship with you, with all the love and all the grace and all the mercy. That, Jesus, you didn't come into the world to condemn the world because you are not a God of condemnation. You are a God of transformation from death to life.
Holy Spirit, I pray that you will shore us up for the defining moments where we have to choose faith over culture, where we have to follow your word instead of our world, and that you will give us the grace and the courage, the dignity and the humility, the character that you gave to Daniel. And then in that, lives around us will be transformed by the choices we make for you in those defining moments. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand and worship with us?